Before we start today's episode, I want to give a few words to one of our sponsors, which is Stutterbox Productions. If you're looking for a solid team of people to get you started with your next gig or event, this is the company contact. They're actually bringing back Field Trip in September 16th and 17th, and they have plenty more shows lined up. Uh, if you guys have not been to Field Trip, that is a blast. Legendary. Um, one of the top shows to go to in Iowa. Um, so what are you waiting for? Head over to Stutterbox Productions' Facebook page for all of your needs today. Gorilla Graphics Design Agency. If you want to plan your next video or project, Gorilla Graphics Design Agency can provide you with a clean and fresh looking product. Uh, having personally collaborated with this company several times myself, I can say from experience they know their shit, and working with them has been worth every penny. Head over to GorillaGraphics.com for all of your design needs today. That's G U E R R I L L A G R F X.com. Hello, this is the McAllister Hours podcast. You're watching, so let's listen to it. I'm your host, Cole McAllister. <laughs> Today, we're joined by Marco Battaglia, right? Battaglia. Battaglia. God damn it. You libertarians always <laughs> fuck up your last names. I'm just kidding. How you doing, man? Doing well. Well, pretty exhausting, but... Yeah, you've been having a long week. I think it's... You were saying you're a correctional officer. I think that's kind yep. of an interesting uh, blend for the libertarian party. <laughs> it is, really. Um, at the women's prison in Mitchellville... Oh, and okay. um, you know, I never thought I would be a candidate for political office. Uh, never thought I would be a correctional officer, but here we are. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, basically, I got, I got, uh, I was running for attorney general of Iowa in the last cycle, okay. and I was working in. Uh, for about a decade, I worked in financial crimes, so helping people that had their identity stolen, their money stolen in some capacity, um, elder abuse, fraud, things like that. Um, helping people to either get their money back, their property back, or um, at least helping them to educate them so so they don't get in that situation again, hopefully. Um and then I got basically given an ultimatum of you drop out of your campaign, your race, or you're fired. And I uh, had one son and a, a baby on the way. So it was a pretty, at the time, intense period because, uh, you know, it was a historical race. The first time there was a two-way race in Iowa between uh, a libertarian and a Democrat in this case, Tom Miller, the well, I think the longest serving attorney general in in the country's history, and uh, you know we were well positioned to campaign through election day, and I I just couldn't justify backing out, um, so it was a tough and interesting time, and I knew that they badly needed people um, in corrections and. I, I just thought, you know, hey, I didn't I didn't win my race. I did historically well. Yeah. Got more yeah. votes than any non Democrat, non Republican in Iowa history. Wow. And I think more than any other Italian American in Iowa history. And it's like when you're not a Democrat or a Republican, you do kind of have to like you know, toot your own horn a little bit because no one else wants to do that. Like, they don't just say, oh, wow, you did this. They're like, no, we don't talk about yeah, that, right. you know, because you're not one of the two uh, big gangs. Um, yeah. 
So, so yeah, it was a very difficult time in the moment, but uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I thought this was a way I could help, you know, outside of politics and also see what it was like, how people were being treated, um, you know, help people understand their inherent rights, help people get out of there and not come back. And, uh, you know, also if I needed to, to say something, report something, I felt entirely comfortable doing that. Um, so it's really been surprisingly a positive experience. I didn't know what I was going to walk into. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's really admirable, uh, <clears throat> you know, sticking to your convictions and like, you know, in the face of like, you know, uh, adversary on your position, like you still went forward. You know? And if anything, it's just emboldened my views on a lot of issues um, yeah, from sure. what I've seen and what I've learned over the last three years going on for now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so what got you started into libertarianism? Like what, like what got you into all this? For me, uh, you know, I grew up here, I, like literally uh, Woodlawn Elementary, Meredith Middle School, Hoover High School. And then I went to the University of Northern Iowa. Um, I never really uh, encountered anything outside of Democrat and Republican um, until um, the first time I really kind of got like shaken and uh, I guess my matrix moment or whatever was uh, um, when Jesse Ventura was running for governor of Minnesota and just seeing that, hey, there's this person that isn't from either of the two parties that, uh, you know, everybody gets taught about and he's he's got less money than the incumbent and then uh, the other people he's running against. Um, he's making money from small donations from selling t-shirts and he, I am agreeing with a lot of what he's saying. Um, that really like that victory was the first time I kind of, like he called himself a libertarian and this was kind of before, uh, you know, before a lot of people, I think, <laughs> knew what that word was because it's always been, uh, I guess, I, I, it's weird. Like, I don't want to, it's so hard to, it feels intentional, right? That you don't hear about <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. third, fourth, fifth, you know, ten of the largest parties in, in mm -hmm. the country's history. Uh, you don't hear about very much, even though Libertarian Party has been a party since 1971, and it's the third largest party. It's consistently had candidates of all different kinds jump through all kinds of different hoops. Mm -hmm. um, every time they set the bar higher, we we tend to meet it. So um, it's in, it's an interesting phenomenon when you really dig into the history. Uh, but yeah, it was that Jesse Ventura campaign and him calling himself a libertarian in his book. I think his first book, or certainly one of the first few, um, was what first got me feeling uh, like that was a you know an okay fit for me. Okay, so how long ago was that? Would you say what that was the end of the nineties? Oh, okay. Oh, so you've been this minute. Yeah, um, and then something really weird happened at the national level, as you know, <coughs> tends to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was getting involved and kind of watching from afar at the time. And Bob Barr was the presidential candidate that got nominated. And I was 
still kind of new to the liberty movement, the broader liberty movement of as a whole, outside of just one party or anything. Um, and that was strange to me because uh, just coming from Republican Party, coming from three-letter agencies, it was like I didn't quite understand. So yeah. it kind of pushed me um, away for a little bit. Um, but then, uh, yeah, just every cycle, I think I got more and more comfortable um, with that label. Like if I, I, I really kind of have a problem with the political party system in general. But if I'm going to put one next to my name, that's the one I'm, you know, I'm comfortable with. I can, I can speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I think there. I mean, I see what you're saying. There is kind of something that you're acknowledging that, like. I mean, I guess I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but like if you're like a anarchist libertarian per se, like uh, there's something you're kind of admitting to like, you know, I am against government, but I'm still putting a political party. But that political party does seem to be have an end goal of like wanting that yeah. true liberty. You know? And it's kind of it's that in that's, you know, the space that I come from. And it's also like the anarchist type of. And yeah. Okay. And it's also. Um, so I would say this idea that. The things that, okay, some of the people that are actually in office, the the best they can do is say, uh, reference like the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. And I come from that place where that is actually limiting to an individual's rights. Um, you know, every single person that we encounter, uh, I feel like has inherent rights and when you start trying to say what you do have and what you don't have then you start running into trouble right away um so you know now we can hope that someone in office might you know stand for one part of the bill of rights one sentence yeah. from the constitution or the declaration of independence and uh um to me i want someone that goes well beyond all of that at every level of office, whether it's local. Um, I really feel like the country could be the freest place on the planet. Um, and if not the country, then the state could be. And if not Iowa, then Polk County could be. Yeah, <laughs> Des Moines yeah. could be. Your neighborhood could be. Um, to me, that's your biggest sphere of influence is you know, wherever you lay your head. Yeah. Localization. Yeah. That's always been yeah, lo uh, local control of local issues is something that's part of Rick Stewart's platform. And I'm, um, I'm really glad for that. Cause I understand the importance of that. I've run for city council. Um, I was in the last at large election and it was against Carl Voss and I came in third out of seven people in that. And that was really eye-opening because it just showed me that how dysfunctional Des Moines City Council is. Um, to me, I've traveled around the state now um, during the last decade, and it's by far the worst-run city council in, in the state. Um, most wow. problematic in pretty much every single way. So, like, in what way specifically Cronyism, is it the worst? Uh, Basically, just these t tyrants running a, sure. a meeting, uh, very limited public participation. Um, now you actually have to get padded down and 
go through a scanner and a body scanner. I saw little kids getting patted down. Like the last time I went, it's it's bizarre. Like I don't know. Uh, uh, the sad thing is they had finally gotten someone new on the city council, Indira Shoemaker, and it all kind of happened after that. So that was you know they're so afraid of having someone in there that's not their their crony um, that a lot of stuff has gone down since then. Yeah. I, I have like, um, I don't know how you feel about her, but I cannot stand Kim Reynolds. Um, and I, I, I feel like she kind of represents like, like a lot of that same like corruption. And, you know, the most interesting part is I've been around quite a few, um, in the legislature, quite a few in state office and, Kim Reynolds and Adam Gregg, the weird thing to me is either they they don't know who I am or they claim not to. And I'm not <laughs> sure which. Like, my, Rick and I have introduced ourselves to them, um, but they're, like, two of the only people that just do not interact. Like, you know, send them a communication, um, just sort of like a friendly, you know, hey, when are we going to get debates or, or forums going? Um and they, I think that's, to be honest, a tactic, like, like, um, Kim Reynolds accepted the nomination from the GOP, uh, a couple weekends ago. And, you know, she mentioned uh, candidate Dejir by name and she knows, uh, her running mate now is Van Lacker, candidate Van Lacker, I believe, Lanker, I think is how you pronounce it. And, um, you know, she mentioned them by name, but she didn't mention us. And I think that's intentional because oh, yeah. she knows that we're a bigger threat because, you know, you can only claim to be for reducing the tax burden. You can only claim to be for reducing the size and scope of government if you don't have someone else that's actually uh, articulating how we're going to do that. <laughs> you can only rely on that if you have someone that's like opposite side of the spectrum to you on all issues that you can just kind of make your your pro wrestling uh heal um and that that's kind of like how it works right they just swings back and forth and they just like to blame the other side and say you know they they just bank on that like we're the we're the freedom party we're the liberty party you know you your dad voted for us, your grandma voted for us, and it's just you're going to keep doing that no matter who we prop up here next. Um, so that's the weird part, right? Is like, the, I think if the Adam, uh, Adam Gregg and Kim Reynolds could get away with it, they would show up to no debates and no forums. And I think the people of Iowa might let them off the hook that way, sadly. Yeah, and well, that just goes to like the... Um, that just goes to like the, you know, the party, you know, like being dedicated to your party. Like, it, it seems like people in Iowa, like, don't even think about it. It's just like, it's the R. That's all yeah, they care about. You just show up. I'm, <laughs> you know, I've, so I think I check all the boxes off for your guests here. I'm a bass player, um, and a podcaster and, and a politician. And I was in in some movies, but I never got any speaking lines yet. Uh, but I did once write a script. It was like a zombie film. And uh, 
it was on election day and the opening scene is the zombies just still line up and vote for a Democrat and Republican, um, even after becoming zombies. And it really does feel like that, uh, except the one, uh, aberration to that in my experience is when I ran against Tom Miller, um, there were people that, you know, Republicans, like old school Republicans that didn't come out to vote, um, they probably actually voted, like held their nose and voted for Tom Miller because they were scared of of what liberty, you know, really looks like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's kind of a testament too to, uh, you know, the rise in technology. You know, I think a lot, like a lot of younger people like me are, you know, getting into libertarianism. You know, the Mises Caucus, like that just turned up. Um, what are you, do you have any thoughts on that? So, as being active in the party for, what, over a decade now, and, and Rick Stewart for longer than that, um, I've just seen the whole caucus thing as a mess. It created okay. a lot of infighting, friend versus friend, who's libertarian, who's not. Um, so, I've never joined a caucus, and it wasn't really that caucus specifically it was a problem i saw long before that was a thing um so i do my best to not really hitch up to some faction um like for example i'm uh, the first convention i ever went to i be you know had becoming friends with people like like adam kokesh vermin supreme uh John McAfee or McAfee, yeah. however you say that, and actually have a letter from him hung up in my office. His uh, his body is still still. Uh, they still haven't found his body. Uh, well, it's still being held. Oh, held. Okay, held okay. in a in a morgue, and I think they claim it's because there's issues. You know, they they still want the family wants a proper or another autopsy, uh, but that's bizarre. But you know, it's a fitting end to the the John his his whole saga, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's what, not over yet. What? Uh, what? <clears throat> just to describe, I kind of know what happened with him. But like, what happened with him? Exactly? Uh, so at the end, of, I don't know what he was actually being held on at the end of the line. Uh, but he the prison claims he committed suicide and the family, yeah. his wife is not sure of that. Not convinced. Wanted to be, okay. um, wanted that to be, you know, reviewed, I think. And, uh, that's, I don't a hundred percent know the details. Um, cause it's been actually a long, he's been, uh, passed away some time ago now. So I can't remember all the specifics to it. But. Okay. Yeah, I remember kind of hearing about that a couple years ago too. That was that was quite a stir. It's crazy how you know the, it, it, you know how much of it is the government. You know, you never really know. But yeah, these were the kind of you know people that came from different factions in the party, and I've yeah. still managed to maintain friendships with them. And I have friends from all over the political spectrum and people that don't want anything to do with the political spectrum. And I can appreciate, you know, both sides, all, all of those sides. Um, so to me, it's just, it's silly to keep putting ourselves into groups and keep fighting with those other groups. Um, 
I'm sure there are some positive things that come out of it, but for me, it just, it's nothing I felt like contributing to so far. I see. I see. So, so you claim yourself to be like, do you like, or do you just consider yourself an anarchist or what's, what's your, do you have any specifications on? Yeah, I kind (laughs) of, I wear it on my sleeve. Um, You know, so my Mount Rushmore, my, statue garden would be like frederick Douglass, victoria woodhull volterine de, de claire lysander spooner frederick bastiat filippo mazai uh, i don't know if you know any of those individuals uh, frederick Douglass sounds familiar um yeah. but so also um i just feel like that whole the word is misunderstood and no i agree 100%. it basically means that uh me and you were sitting here. You don't rule over me. I don't rule over you. And now we have a disagreement. So how are we going to resolve that peacefully? Mm-hmm. We're not going to, you know, we don't have any way to uh, to get around it other than talk to each other and, and work it out. Because, you know, anytime you do get state force involved, you're now saying who is going to be able to point a gun at who eventually and someone's going to intervene on either your or my behalf based on a few people's interpretation of a law and um yeah so to me it's about about peace and about voluntary exchanges uh, about competition Mm -hmm. Um, like frederick bestiat said uh the uh, the basically the opposite of oppression is competition. And to me, that's simple yet profound. Hmm. I see. So let me ask, like, this might be kind of a, <clears throat> um, you know, devil's advocate kind of like playing a certain situation, but like, you know, cause you know, I agree with a lot of what anarchism says. I still, I consider myself kind of an anarchist because I do think that there are maybe some things that I can imagine a government intervention might be. Um, oh, yeah. Like, for instance, like, if, if you know, because, uh, you know, anarchism, like capital anarchism, plays down with the market. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of benefits to having things by the market, like, you know, private security, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the government does undercut a lot of those markets. But, you know, you have a situation of someone acting maliciously, you know, they have a weapon in there, you know, mm-hmm. it, because I mean, that is a minority, but that is, you know, something that's still affecting, mm-hmm. you know, populations at large, you know, there are certain things I think that I think Rick said best last time he was on there, like um, not necessarily reducing government, but most importantly, reduce, reduce uh, reducing the harm of government. Oh, you know yeah. I mean? reducing harm, reducing fraud, reducing waste. Yep. Not so much arguing about who should and shouldn't pay taxes, but what, where is the money going? What's the paper trail like? And I don't have a conflict, you know, doing what I do and, and with my philosophy and running for office with my philosophy. To me, if I was just, you know, living on my property doing my best not to get involved in any of that. It's still, you know, it's still happening. So, so yeah, to me, that's fair to me. It's about, um, trying to like, once I had, you know, my sons, especially trying to show people that 
you know, there's basically another way to solve problems rather than advocating for a new law all the time. Um, and also rather than making people into criminals mm -hmm. and, you know, people complain all the time about money in politics and career politicians. And, you know, it's just one way to give people another option. And then once you sign up to do that job for that term, you know, you do the best job you can to do the job you signed up for. To me, it shouldn't matter what one's philosophy is, where one falls on the political spectrum. Like if you win on election day, you signed up for that. And now, now here we go. And for me, when that's the position of governor and lieutenant governor, a new administration, two of the most important things you're going to do are the people you're going to appoint and then the, the, the budget you eventually get to, to create. So you actually will have that first chance in how long to actually cut spending, actually reduce the size and scope of government to actually appoint people based on, uh, based on merit and experience and who is most qualified as opposed to, um, okay, we're one, therefore we're from this party and we're going to get a bunch of people that think like us to stack the, stack the deck of a board of appointments or of the Supreme court. Uh, it's like, I don't think a lot of people realize what happens when you have like all these people like Branstad, Grassley, Tom Miller, like longest serving politicians in the country, uh, you know, dictionary, look up career politician. These are the people. Um, I don't think people realize this is like a handful of people that have made so many appointments and so many, uh, gotten so many of their cronies in sensitive positions of power. So to me, it would be groundbreaking just to get anyone that's uh, liberty, freedom-minded in there making appointments like you've already done something grand to move uh, the needle, you know, move the liberty movement um, on down on down the road. Um, so those are, you know, just right out the gates, you've already done some of the most important things you're going to be able to do uh, in four years. I see, I see. Um, let me ask you this. So uh, yesterday, um, the court ruled... Supreme Court um, overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, what, as an anarchist and as a you know political figure, what are what are your thoughts? So, I've ever since stepping out and running for office, I've taken it very seriously, and also serving the people of Iowa, I've taken very seriously. So, I'm always listening, always learning. Uh, you know where I initially come from is that, you know, this is, I've been part of um, the births of my sons. They were very difficult pregnancies. I know in any pregnancy, any number of things can go haywire, go wrong, and become an absolute medical emergency. Mm -hmm. And this is at any point in the process. And it's hard for me to ever think that anyone else, you know, the state, uh, 
should have some involvement in, in those decisions that happen. So that's where I just started from. But mm-hmm. then I go to, you know, I've talked at some of the, to some of the most liberal crowds that exist in the state of Iowa. I've talked to some of the most conservative crowds that exist in the state of Iowa. Um, one time in Sioux City, I got grilled for like an hour and a half on, you know, do you believe in the Bible as truth? Do you believe uh, in the heartbeat bill, you know, is abortion murder? And it was, you know, I had to say no, 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 and and then have a conversation with people that thought differently than me. And I listened to them and I learned from them. So rather than just coming out and saying, you know, it's a lot more complicated than just being like, yeah, we're pro-choice, we're pro-life. I agree. I, ha- I, uh, I hate the binary personally. Yeah, it's it's so much more complicated than that. But to me, the most important thing is that if people feel passionately about that issue, like I imagine most people really do, based off this decision, you're going to have to, uh, you know, either be prepared to take matters into your own hands or be prepared to go and get involved with the state, you know, with your state legislature, because that's going to be one of the most important things the legislature does in the next session is make it clear what this means in Iowa. And I think I do have a unique perspective. I work with incarcerated women in Iowa and say they do make um, the act of having an abortion a crime. They make it criminal. Um, This is where people will go. And just the thought of, I, I don't think a lot of people think through their positions and what that actually entails in the real world. I agree. Um, It's not so much that anyone wants, you know, people to necessarily end their pregnancies. It's not so much that anyone wants murder, you know, it's like, but what do you do to someone that has made that decision? Is it really in anyone's best interest to put them in a cell you know, taxpayer money with inflation, who knows how much it is now, but pre-inflation numbers, it was something like 40 K a year to house someone, um, in incarceration in Iowa. So like, what, what do you actually want to, to come of this person that maybe they had a serious, uh, you know, a medical problem or their body just chose to, to reject this, this baby. Sure. Um, do you want someone that had that traumatic experience to be investigated as a criminal and then what they're in the court system and it just, to me seems really flawed and that no one, I don't think very many people actually want that. Yeah. Like they just think, you know, I'm pro life and it feels good and I'm sticking with that. But I think if they actually are forced to think about it at the state level, um, that'll be a really, there'll be some good conversations, I hope, yeah. uh, in the legislature. And I really hope people can get into the details of what that means to punish someone for murder because they induced a miscarriage or chose to have an abortion. Um I think also this whole timeline process is flawed, right? Because 
all people from both camps seem to really want to be like, okay, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 24, whatever, uh, you know, a medical emergency can happen anywhere along the process. Even it, so to me, to me, what being a libertarian means is you err on the side of freedom, err on the side of liberty. That doesn't mean that you can't, you know, live by your own moral code. That doesn't mean you can't do everything in your power as an individual to work towards fewer abortions if that's your goal. It just simply means let's let's be realistic about what we're doing when we call this murder. Yeah, yeah. Not imposing your will on others. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, for example, when we have different degrees of murder, and most people, I think, would agree when you are defending yourself, um, that's not something that we want to see you punished for. Um, Let's drink California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a whole, a whole interesting place. But, but yeah. So to me, if, if, you know, your own body starts becoming your, your foil and you fight to survive, I mean, I could never imagine me being with one of my partners and saying, um, no, now you're, you're a murderer now and I can't support you and, uh, I need to make this decision for you. Um, so, so to me, I, I'm, I hope we get to have, um, real conversation and I want to see people take like intellectually sound positions regardless of what they think like I don't think people have gone out there and actually talked to Iowans all over the spectrum as much as Rick and I have probably that are running for any level of office and heard them out and tried to have these difficult conversations with them because I think especially right now it's important when people on you know all over the spectrum have been driven to feel you know, all kinds of emotions and some act on those violently. And to me, that's like a really important role people like Rick and I can play in the political process is, you know, stand for peace, stand for voluntary exchanges. Let's talk about the issues without putting someone in the corner as our enemy. Um, you know, we have some, some common uh, enemies that I think we should be looking at instead of fighting amongst our, our neighbors. I agree. I agree. Uh, let me ask you another one. Uh, so we, we've had some recent school, um, school shooting violence and there's been a lot of different, uh, <clears throat> perspectives and thoughts on that. I think, you know, the libertarian mindset and that's pretty clear. Um, but I guess for those who are curious, what, what do you, what do you think like you and Rick would proponent for, you know, school safety or whatever. You know, I think, <clears throat> I think there is something to um, local control over those issues. Um, there'll be, you know, certain parts of Iowa that are more comfortable with saying, uh, you know, I trust my teacher, the, my children's teacher with my children, and I trust that they'll responsibly handle a firearm. Mm -hmm. And if that is their decision and it's, you know, everyone's comfortable with that, I think that 
that should be best decided at the local level. And then you have, you know, most likely a school in uh, one of the bigger cities where there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable with that. And I think rather than having this top-down decision from the governor's office, it would be best decided, you know, among local control. I agree. And, um, like, I personally... um, we actually have a teacher that's part of our campaign team. He was one of my favorite teachers growing up, and it's an honor to have him on our team. And I would 100% be comfortable with him carrying around my, my boys. I would actually feel better <laughs> personally. And I know not everyone shares that view, so I wouldn't want to force it on people that are uncomfortable yeah. with that. <clears throat> but, you know, I think there are especially smaller communities where they can get a consensus on things like that. And they should be able to have that local control to decide something of that sort. I also think you got to look at your citizenry, who you're representing in your communities and see that we haven't had this kind of violence here. We've had like one incident that I think falls in the category of a mass shooting event and it was uh, it was on, I think, the ISU campus quite mm. a few years ago, 30-some years ago, I think. Okay. And it was an individual with a handgun. So um, I think you got to go with um, you got to go with what your citizenry and your community is providing you instead of necessarily reacting to events that happen in other parts of the world and other states. Um, so I think, you know, I feel really, I, when I was a kid, I felt really safe in our schools and I feel safe sending my children to them. So I almost think it's almost theater, right? Because Reynolds has used that as an excuse to spend a lot of money <laughs> I was and to exert that, a lot of control over yeah, I think million the school dollars. process. And same goes with the, um, you know, the school choice issue. Um, so where she runs into trouble as the leader, um, is these rural areas where there's not a lot of choice, right? And they're actually, she has her own party pushing back like, Hey, where are we going to send these kids? Um, and to me, that's another issue where it'd be better, uh, better to be controlled locally than having the governor say, top down, this is what we're doing. I mean, pretty much across the board, right? Like even the she could have championed anything. Her administration could have championed almost anything in the last cycle. They chose ethanol, <laughs> propping up ethanol, and they chose, um, you know, getting it so one trans girl in Iowa couldn't play on the bowling team or something <laughs> and turn that into protecting women's sports. All the sports, it too. It just bowling. kind of rang into that, like, protecting Western civilization sort of uh, diatribe. Um, I just, that was a real, a big, I don't know, just a big show, if you ask me. But with real consequences, right, for people yeah. that identify <clears throat> as the, you know, as that community and... Again, that should be, I think, uh, unless you actually have an issue of a civil rights violation, that should be a matter of local control as well, I think, because you probably do have some schools that 
you know, they've never met a trans person before. So they have their own thoughts on that. And yeah. it might make them feel good to say that if we ever have one, you know, they got to play on this sports team. But uh, it's a lot of arguing over things that I don't think people understand, you know, the real world consequences. Yeah. And, I, and I think it makes certain people feel good. Um, so yes, we want a new law that, that protects us from this new thing. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's another, uh, another tough issue, but to me, um, to me, that's what it means. I'm going to stand for maximum liberties for all Iowans all the time. I don't care what, uh, uh, what kind of person they are, they have inherent rights. And then you kind of start getting these people that come at you and say, well, you're trying to get special rights for these people. Um, and I counter that with who's introducing this legislation that uses this language. Like it's all come from the GOP. Like they're introducing legislation on these issues. I think because, um, the more, uh, I guess the less genuine among them know it's a way to stir up donations and votes and get people excited in a important election cycle. Um, and then probably there's some people that really feel genuinely, um, like they are protecting women's sports. Um, there's an interesting thing that happened recently. I think it's Brittany Griner. She was a basketball player uh WNBA I think and she was detained in Russia and this to me highlights some things about women's sports if you really want to uh take it to the professional world of sports like I think everybody would know about this right if it was uh LeBron James or something but she's you know that level of athlete what LeBron James is to the NBA she is to female sports oh okay. and you know maybe a lot of people probably haven't heard about that. And it's clear to me that Russia is using her as a pawn and broader, um, geopolitics, but because she was actually detained over having a vape cartridge, Jesus <laughs> Christ! but so, so like marijuana or just regular, I think it was just, just what tobacco just nicotine? nicotine. Damn. Yeah. What the fuck? That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, so to me, um, you wouldn't. You also don't have males that have to go feel the need to go over to play somewhere like Russia to you know to survive and make money. <laughs> like I couldn't picture someone you know like like LeBron James doing that in the off season. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. You know, going back to like the the you know the Kim, you know Kim Reynolds and you know kind of. It's actually interesting. I. Uh, you bring up the ethanol thing. I actually wrote um, a final paper on that um, in my last English class. Um, yeah, she's That's just great. Yeah, I've been I've been saying let's listen to economists the whole time for years now, and it was really unpopular when I first started talking about it. Like mm -hmm. people from both the larger parties are still really gung ho about backing ethanol, supporting ethanol, mandating ethanol spending taxpayer money to prop up ethanol, building these pipelines to kick ethanol, that ethanol can on down the road. Um, 
So we've really highlighted that basic property rights, not allowing eminent domain to be abused for, for these private companies to basically, you know, make, make it so certain people make more money off ethanol for so many more years. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's as simple as stop distorting the markets, stop distorting the agricultural markets, and you will see. Have you ever heard of this podcast? It's called We All Want Clean Water. No. So it's uh, definitely check it out. I recommend it. Uh, they get into the issues really in depth and like how, you know, we can move towards um, actually cleaning up our, our waterways and, and moving in a better direction. Stop, you know, contributing to the dead zone at the end of the line in the ocean Um, and a lot of it comes down to things that, that the libertarians agree with. Stop distorting the markets, stop contributing. You're, you're basically, this is a Liberty issue because you get your tax money taken to subsidize these harmful practices of, you know, monoculture and, and then you get your tax money taken to clean up after the mess, which is unsuccessful so far and then you also pay out if you get public water from des moines waterworks you're paying for the nitrate removal process to make that water you know allegedly up to the minute scientifically safe um to consume and so you're like triple taxed in this situation um and a lot of people i think don't understand that and to me, freeing the farm market, like I talk to people that want to farm all over the state and they will be so, I'm confident they'll be some of the best stewards of the land that the planet has ever seen. And the best way to allow them to do that and stop distorting the price of farmland is to stop, you know, stop the mandate, stop the subsidies, what any economist would, would tell you for you know, 50, a hundred, hundreds of years. Um, it's just really outrageous how much government meddles in the agricultural market. And then also tells people, Hey, you can't, uh, you can't grow hemp if it has so much THC content, you can't grow cannabis only that's, that's the biggest, I think one of the biggest hypocrisies with the GOP in Iowa right now is they're perfectly fine with one company owned by one man growing cannabis, and some of them even profit from that situation. Yeah, yeah. But if you do it, if you have you go and get a pinch of herb, you can still get you know booked and arrested. It still happens. Like I've had friends in the last few months that have gotten arrested for having Jesus. you know a little bit of flour, a oh little bit of God. herb in their pocket. Yeah, I remember when they announced uh, what was in Des Moines. They were like, yeah, we're not going. Maybe I don't know if this happened in Des Moines, but they were like, we're going to put marijuana lower. Like, yeah, right. They can still. I was explaining to someone the other day, like, I was like, why don't they legalize it? Because they make so much more money on the prison system. <laughs> like, that's arresting people. A lot right of now. people, I think, maybe don't understand. It feels like they do, but they still vote for the, the warriors, right? They champion <laughs> yeah. that system. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, that these are human beings that we're incarcerating and you're putting someone 
that got busted with marijuana in there with people that have done, you know, sex crimes, rape. Yeah, sure. That have killed someone. Done things malicious, like malicious things. Yeah. Putting something in their body. Or, you know, they've actually, you know, uh, hurt someone in different ways by stealing from them, damaging their property because maybe to feed an addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, but to me, that's that's what rehabilitation is for, people like that. I agree. And now you're just housing someone that was a nonviolent drug offender to the tune of that, that 40K plus a year. Basically, what you're, what is the rehabilitation for that person? <laughs> Drugs are bad. Don't do them. <laughs> oh, <they>? but hey, <laughs> I'm, you know, I was using this as medicine and it was really helping me doesn't matter don't do it or you're coming back you know you drop dirty you're coming back it's just such a such a bizarre thing that we're still having to talk about this but but here we are um you know i got involved uh coming out from behind the scenes because of have you heard of benton mckenzie the mckenzie trial it sounds kind of familiar, but this not really. was when Reynolds was lieutenant governor and Branstad was governor. This man, Benton McKenzie, got arrested for, you know, using can growing cannabis to use as medicine. And at that point, you know, he couldn't even say in his trial like that this was medicine for me and this was helping me uh, reduce my tumor uh, activity. And, you know, he said, this is a death sentence. You are sentencing me to death. And then he passed away. Um, and then they went after his family for helping him. <laughs> and, and you know, Jesus and Christ. so I, I'm certain that Reynolds remembers me from blowing her phone up and her email up <laughs> when that was going on. So just to claim that one day, if we ever are on the same debate stage, I'm going to be like, do can you just confirm that you do know who I am at this point? <laughs> she just take a shot. <laughs> Next. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. And it seems like anywhere we go, right. Uh, we've been to probably in the last few weeks between Rick and I, maybe 30 counties, I want to say. And I don't think I've been to one smaller town where we haven't been asked about like these people just want to compete. They want to be able to sell cannabis. They want to be able to use cannabis. They want to be able to grow hemp without having to worry about destroying their crop. Like, and, or without having to worry about being taxed into oblivion and creating a gray market, making mm -hmm. it so they can't compete with something like, like med farm or, or now bud and Mary's, which is so ridiculous, right? This company <laughs> that basically has a state given monopoly enforced monopoly changing their name to try to fit in more with a dispensary in a state where you can't compete and open up your own dispensary. It's pretty bizarre. And, you know, every person that's holding back legalization and decriminalization is, I think, now complicit and guilty in this whole mess because they know, they know the med... There's just this... We somehow in Iowa let our elected officials just get a pass like they're somehow ignorant, like they can't, you know, go use a search engine and figure this stuff out. Like if you or I can do this and do some research, you know, in 15 minutes, but somehow they 
they can't, they're incapable of looking into an issue and seeing uh, the reality. It's, it, we just let, we let people get away with way too much. Do you think it's just like kind of like a group think mentality type of thing? Like, do you think it's like religious? Like what, do you have any thoughts on why people still think like this? Well, the religious thing is so bizarre to me because religious liberty, I think is very important. And any libertarian I know will defend whether, you know, even if that person is an atheist, they'll defend someone else's religious liberty. Mm -hmm. And this is where we run into trouble, you know, with pretty much any issue, but let's go with abortion. Is it not religious liberty? If you, if your faith believes that life is that first breath, the baby takes after Mm -hmm. they come out is it not religious liberty. If your religion doesn't, consider an abortion to be murder like when you're actually standing for religious liberty and you're genuine and not just pandering you're standing for the whole spectrum of religious thought and belief right not just um, the one that makes you feel good that you think this one specific figure has it all figured out and they're the word of your god it's like that's not religious liberty and it's never been religious liberty. It's religious liberty is about letting people practice their religion in peace and and not persecuting them. You know, they can. <laughs> I think there are people that would still, um, you know, have a witch trial and burn someone at the stake if they didn't. You know, if they were practicing, you know, pagan, Wiccan mm-hmm. witchcraft. It's like you do not understand religious liberty at all. It's just a pandering thing to some people or they're just that confused. Yeah. But it is kind of, it is kind of an interesting correlation though. To, you know, talking about religion, there is almost kind of like a, in terms of like overreach, like there is a religious overreach. You know, we have seen times in history where religions have gone out and, you know, praising the word of God and like, you know, committing violence against people. Like, I, I think that's kind of like a, I don't, are you religious or, um, I was raised Roman Catholic Same. and then I, tr- uh, I have a lot of friends that are atheists and I just find it hard to put myself in sure. a faction, even in the realm of religion. Right. I, I guess I would say I'm a firm believer in letting people have the freedom to find their path. Yeah, no, I agree. But, but there is kind of like, there is an interesting correlation, don't you think, between like the overreach of both government and religion? I feel like there are a lot of libertarians who are like strongly religious, but they almost like, I feel like for some of them, they almost don't see the hypocrisy and like, you know, you're giving, like, okay, like church police, for instance. Don't see the hypocrisy of using government to enforce your specific religious values. Yeah. And then like, and then saying like, you know, my religious you know, believe can be an extent where I do the same thing, essentially. Yeah, that's it's an uh, interesting irony. That's a challenge. And I think that's something else where people just don't, they don't get challenged enough. They don't mm-hmm. have friendly conversations with people. It turns into rage or hates or, uh, you know, bigotry or religious persecution. And then, you know, you're off the rails and you have no longer... Uh, contributed (laughs) you've wasted everyone's time at that point you haven't had any common ground to be had um so a couple weeks ago i was in washington iowa and it was uh 
they had a Juneteenth celebration, mm -hmm. which I've put out. Uh, I had an uh, editorial published about just how Juneteenth, I think, is my favorite holiday. It's uh, it's like the one holiday that celebrates liberty in the truest sense of the word. Hmm. And in Washington, I learned about the city called Buxton, Iowa. Have you ever heard of that? So it, it basically it just it's a ghost town now. Okay. It doesn't exist. But um, Buxton, Iowa, this was where um, basically the closest thing you've seen to a market that's not captured. Basically, the the coal industry built created this town so it was run by a corporation and they um and the so they started bringing in people that uh were black and immigrants from other countries to work in the coal mines but then you know the people that lived in this city needed every the services that everybody else needs so you had you know black doctors delivering babies for white women you had black pharmacists you had black people that were in enforcing the laws and in every walk of of life everything that all the goods and services that you were be, being given and initially they paid their workers in gold and silver so this is like the most libertarian existence that i've ever heard of in the country um and so um it's like the one, this was during, you know, other places still had Jim Crow. They still had oh, active wow. Klan, um, you know, uh, a couple miles away, you would have Klan rallies. But they didn't mess with Buxton, Iowa, because the population was more black than white. And, you know, they had a baseball team. This was before you could go and play elsewhere if you were black and play baseball. Like, it was a mixed baseball team. And, you know, they had a black YMCA and, and just all this. It's just a really fascinating study. You should look into it. Buxton, Iowa. Okay, I'm and so to... it's like, to me, this is a shining example of what local control and, and uh, you know, a f avoiding a captured market can, can do. Um, you actually had these people that, that you know, they chose equality and they chose equity and they lived peacefully. I don't think they had any issues of, of racial violence um, during the existence of the town that anyone could recall. Um, but then, you know, um, the demand for coal uh, went down and it just kind of became a ghost town. It was like this, this glimmering, shining moment of hope in okay. history um, where people got along and worked together and, and got paid, you know, the same as um, the different types of people with different, you know, skin colors and different backgrounds. And, and um, yeah, it's just a really fascinating study, I think, a cool piece of history that was here in Iowa. That's awesome. Um, so that's one thing I love about campaigning around parts of Iowa I haven't been to and meeting people um, is basically like um, the things I learned that I didn't even know. Um, Iowa is home to quite a bit of fascinating libertarian history. Like, I don't know if you know, um, uh, it was Laura Ingalls Wilder and Rose <laughs> Wilder Lane. 
the author, yep, uh, yep. her and her daughter, the mother, um, lived in Iowa for like a year mm-hmm. and there's a museum, uh, that's awesome. And, um, they, I mean, they're huge, um, in the, the broader Liberty movement and the American libertarian movement, um, mm. history, uh, that was Burr Oak, Iowa, which I think is a ghost town okay. as well now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did, I watched a lot of that growing up, so I never realized the correlation though. Yeah. Uh, both the mom and I think the daughter to a greater extent was just boldly libertarian. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, John Hospers, he was a teacher and an author, and he was the first Libertarian Party presidential candidate. He got an electoral vote. Um, John, he was from Pella, Iowa. Okay. And he, uh, his running mate was Tony Nathan, and she was the first Jewish person and the first woman to get an electoral vote in the country's history. Um, so yeah, John Hospers, a great teacher and author. He's got some great books that I recommend checking out. Uh, he was from Pella, Iowa. Um, more recently, Richard Campania was a vice presidential candidate. He, he was living in Iowa, um, at the time. Um, we're actually endorsed by Art Olivier. He was Harry Brown's running mate. Um, he was also the mayor in Bellflower, California, which I think this is something interesting, right? That, that I think should be just as newsworthy as a Trump endorsement for, for Kim Reynolds. Um, we're endorsed by Jesse Ventura, former governor of Minnesota. We're endorsed by Laura Epke, who was a senator, libertarian senator from Nebraska, who got occupational licensing reform um, legislation almost i think there was one vote against it almost unanimous tripartisan agreement and you know these are issues that get lost having these extreme social gop people in power is like why are we not getting occupational licensing reform why are we not ending certificates of need why are, why don't we have a timeline for when we're going to end the income tax in iowa like these issues get lost in the football of social control and culture and left versus right. Like these are things that I feel like Rick and I can accomplish with the legislature. Like I've made, you know, acquaintances, friends with some people in the legislature from across, you know, both aisles, both sides of the aisle we could accomplish in four years. I'm firmly believe occupational licensing reform ending certificates of need, freeing the, the hemp and cannabis markets, freeing the agricultural market, uh, protecting Iowans from eminent domain abuse, um, move us in the right direction on water quality. What else? We could get uh, more freedom for uh, gambling. And I have friends that before they outlawed it, they made their living playing online poker. It's ridiculous that Iowa hasn't moved the ball on that <laughs> online poker. Like you can make money and it's, you know, uh, it's bizarre. Um, the fact that Reynolds is telling Cedar Rapids, they can't build a casino. I think the, the legislature cited gambling fatigue, which I don't even know. 
<laughs> like what? I, the real reason it seems to me is that they, you know, don't want competition. They must be involved with the current casino market. Um, yeah, or alcohol or something like that. You know, alcohol is still a big racket too. Like, do you know anybody that's tried to make or distribute their own uh, beer or alcohol? I do, and it's. Like, it's not easy to start any business in Iowa. Mm -hmm. So something's very wrong, right? If we have these GOP people claiming that they're pro-whatever business, pro-competition, and we have Iowans begging for competition, begging for the freedom to start their own business, to start a new occupation without jumping through all these hoops. Like, it's just absurd to me you you have these people propping up med farm and propping up ethanol you have these people telling you you can't use your own property to have solar panels if you could be growing corn and soy on your property like i get the problems that some people have with wind and solar it's the subsidies that you're angry at you're not angry at someone using wind and solar to harness as much energy and power as they want on their own property in the way they see fit. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with who Thomas Massey is. No, he's a, he's a, in the Republican party. Um, but he basically lives off the grid thanks to solar power. And he got a Tesla battery from a, a Tesla that was totaled oh. and, you know, has his own setup and, <laughs> He gets into it really well how, you know, you shouldn't think that that solar or wind is your enemy. You should just be upset at the subsidies like you should be upset at the ethanol subsidy and the <laughs> ethanol mandates and the market distortions. And, you know, even the oil industry at the market distortions um, relate, you know, related to all these things, you know, where you get your energy from. Is that a basically a monopoly? And what say do you have? And you know, would competition bring your prices down? Yes, all the time. The answer is yes. But yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I that's what we're trying to do, right? Is is highlight that there's some things we firmly believe we can accomplish that Iowans are telling us these are their big issues, and they fall right in our wheelhouse. So let us, you know, let us have a shot to, to get these things accomplished. Um, we also have some great candidates that are running, you know, at more local office and how the, the Iowa legislature, um, Toya Johnson, Jenny, Jenny Cadell, and uh, are two that come to mind that I've become really good friends with two of like the sharpest, smartest, hardest working people. I know Iowa would be like, you would be thrilled to have these people in there fighting for you, um, not looking to make a career out of politics, not looking to make money out of politics, actually standing for liberty in the true sense. Hell yeah. Well, I think that's what it's all about, man. Uh, shit, we, we're over an hour, uh, but uh, you know, you have your notes and all that. I wanted to give you a chance if there's anything else you wanted to discuss or um, mention or... I guess I would just end on uh, rickstewart.com. Just just put in the search engine, um, web three, four, five, whatever you got. Uh, Marco Battaglia, Rick Stewart, Iowa. You'll find 
I think we've been more transparent about our positions. We've answered more questions than I think anyone else running for office in the last decade. Look up anything about us. Look up my debate from public television with Jake Porter. Like we talk the same no matter who we're talking to. If you're a Democrat, we're talking to you about the issues the same way as we're talking to a Republican. If you're in rural Iowa, um, you have farmland, we're talking to you the same as if you're in the city. Um, and the thing that I see with inflation, gas prices, um, things of that nature is what I hate to see is you see uh, inflation go up, prices go up, and volunteerism goes down, charity goes down. Um, people are not as happy because you know, doing charity makes people happy and they, they have to work more, take on another job, work more hours. Uh, you see less tipping when there's inflation. And like we're forced into this less voluntary, less libertarian way of living when inflation is out of control. And so I think we really do um, have a much better answer to that. And we should, you know, have a gas tax holiday and we should be, we should have done that by now. Um, and I don't think really anyone is in office that I know of right now is prepared to do what it takes to lower gas prices because that means stop distorting the markets. That means mm -hmm. work on peace with Russia, Iran, Brazil, Venezuela, China. That means fostering peace between Russia and China and you know ending subsidies on all these people venezuela iran like it's like one one party gets in power we get a better relationship with one country but a worse one with another <laughs> it, and no we need to work on diplomacy with all of them if we really want a competitive market that will bring prices down and i don't think there's not a lot of people that will currently stand for that. So we need more people in office that will, and we need more people um, in office that won't persecute people for, you know, having marijuana, like a County attorney. We need more people that won't persecute a woman for, uh, you know, ending a pregnancy uh, because, you know, that is going to be important. All, there's a reason I've run for city council um, as well as state level office because you need people that are going to err on the side of liberty and stand for civil civil liberties, inherent liberty at every level of office. Fuck yeah. <clears throat> hey man, I love, what, I love what we have to say here. Um, I love you and Rick. You guys are fucking awesome. You got my vote for sure. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, this has been a great episode, man. Yeah, thanks for letting having some real conversation. Uh, we'd be, you know, it's a a long way till election day. We got a, a tight schedule, and yeah, we'd yeah. be happy to uh, to come back sometime. And, you know, yeah. if something big happens. Uh, it'd be nice to have a place to talk freely about it. So, hell yeah. Well, and you know, I think things like the podcast this is like the true core of libertarianism. You know, like independent, like having having you guys on talking and all that. So. Marco, it's been a fucking pleasure. Um, great to have you. Yeah, McAllister Hour is McAllister awesome. Hours. I'm now in the uh, in the books with <laughs> some of my friends. You're in the bracket. Yeah, <laughs> that's 
that's awesome man that's all and it's awesome that like you you know people and stuff that always kind of yeah well i think pretty soon it's going to be just people with podcasts interviewing other people with podcasts (laughs) and that'll be every all the content on the internet you know oh yeah yeah here's my this is my podcast and here's my podcast and (laughs) people people aren't gonna have names anymore they're just gonna have podcast names yeah (laughs) mine's more music related but we have had some some uh politicians on we had uh, liz bennett who's in the iowa house who's a total metalhead i would have never guessed it was awesome that's cool man yeah we rock out now (laughs) that's awesome all right well we're gonna sign off here uh stay tuned hey if one more thing go check out the patreon um calster hours uh or patreon slash calster hours uh you can find extra content there give us money libertarianism capitalism all that shit um but yeah otherwise we're here uh wednesday and saturday every wednesday saturday at seven so uh marco again it's been a pleasure all right everybody peace have a good one